You're listening to the Future Tech Health Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Until I reached age 40, I never realized the obvious, that we all have medical issues, or we at least have a family member or close relation that had, has, or will have them in the future. Medicine and biological systems are the final frontier. Until we've conquered death, figured out how life began, cured cancer, and understood our purpose in the universe, there's a heck of a lot to talk about when it comes to our health. Future Tech Health means I'll be covering futuristic topics that are actually already in clinical trials or even starting to appear on shelves or by prescription or available for your own use. We dive deep into stem cells, CRISPR-Cas9, the science of sleep, epigenetics, medical testing, cancer, ketogenic diets, stem cells, aging, regenerative medicine, and more. My goal for you, the listener, is to learn from these podcasts. You may very well learn something that may change the course of your life for the better, steer you towards a new career, or give you insight into addressing a serious medical problem. Remember, however, this podcast and its content is informational in nature only. No medical, tax, legal, financial, or psychological advice is being given. If you enjoy the podcast, please listen, subscribe, like, and share it with friends. Thank you. This is Richard Jacobs with the Future Tech and Future Tech Health Podcast. I'm returning guest, Gregory Kuhn. Uh, he's with Prescient Metabiomics. Uh, they're doing some sort of uh, partnership or merger. They're going to be called Prescient Metabiomics, not just Metabiomics. So, Greg, thanks for coming back. How are you doing? Very good. Yes, it's a, it's a joint venture that we forged with Prescient Medicine. Um, okay. And that's, that's, where, yeah, that's where we became Prescient Metabiomics. And you can say that was very prescient of you to do so, right? Absolutely. Well, for listeners that haven't heard before, tell me about uh, you know, Prescient Metabiomics or Metabiomics. What do you guys do? Well, Prescient Metabiomics is a pioneer in the development of human microbiome and metagenomics technology. Um, we've been, uh, you know, for the last 15 years developing the technology platform to do, you know, advanced interrogation of the, uh, of the gut microbiome and associating the microbiome with health and disease. Okay. So um, are there specific conditions that you're targeting or, I mean, like, you know, health and disease, how is that defined according to you guys? Well, that's an interesting uh, point, actually. So we are, um, the technology actually represents a new paradigm for looking at human health. You know, we can, we can, uh, we can, look, we can analyze the microbiome and, uh, and actually through clinical trials associate the changes in the gut microbial uh, ecosystem with, with various uh, diseases and conditions. Um, our company very early on uh, developed a focus for gut health. And so inflammatory bowel disease was an initial focus for the company. And, um, and that, eventually led to the discovery that we could actually predict uh, colorectal adenomas, which, uh, which, which presents the opportunity for preventing colon cancer. And that's largely what our com- company is focused on now, is developing a screening test for precancerous adenomas and carcinomas with the goal of trying to prevent colon cancer. Okay. So what have you seen? How is the microbiome apparently correlated to health or disease, you know, all I, I hear is, oh, more diverse microbiomes are correlated with better health outcomes. But beyond that, I don't get any details. What, what have you guys figured out? 
Well, we've, as a company, dug in a lot deeper. Um, and we're modeling specifically, you know, a situation where there's, where there's colorectal adenomas or colorectal cancers versus healthy. And we define healthy with a colonoscopy. Um, and further, we're digging into the etiology of the disease. So the microbiome doesn't just help digest food, and, um, and, and there's actually a very complex relationship going on. So the microbiome activates and regulates the immune system. The microbiome is the first line of defense fighting off pathogenic, pathogenic bacteria. Um, and a disruption of the microbiome is, is kind of a... Um, what we've developed it, developed it into a biomarker for for these diseases because it's kind of related to um, signs of chronic inflammation or perhaps uh, genotoxins being developed by the microbiome. Um, we're trying to dig into the functional relationship between the gut microbiomes, the the gut microbes, and the human health, the human host. So, like an example, C. difficile. Um, it appears to come out in people that, you know, have had antibiotics multiple times, et cetera. But from what I know, it exists in the gut normally, just in low levels. But in a dysbiosis situation, now it's predominant. It, it, you know, so that means, like, it was always there. Was it really a pathogen or not until it just reached a stage where it's predominant and now it's causing problems? Like, it, how do you evaluate what, again, a healthy microbiome is versus a dysbiosis? Is it by prevalence? Is it by appearance or not appearance of a certain organism? Is it by other factors? That's a good point. So there's essentially uh, there's a gut homeostasis that is trying to define gut health, um, and that that essentially that essentially is a stable configuration of the gut. Um, and there's there's various ways in which dysbiosis can can occur can can occur. And that's a dysregulated immune response, um, you know, a defect in the uh, epithelial barrier, um, or or a you know extreme um, overgrowth of certain pathogenic bacteria, or even you know um, you know some bacterial strains that were formerly symbiotic that that become pathogenic to a certain extent um, when they're sort of um, uh, getting out of uh, whack with the, with the host. Okay. Um, so in particular with the cancers that you're looking at, what, what have you seen? Have you seen, uh, I mean, have you looked at the cancer cells themselves and do they, I don't know, do they interact with the local microbiome differently? Do they attract a hyper-specific hyper like microenvironment of microbes that are unique to them? Like, you know, what have you seen there? Well, there's been an actual absolute explosion in the field, and so many researchers all around the world uh, digging into these questions. Um, and so we've we've focused on actually um, most recently taking a lot of those studies, and we're actually we're looking at it from a thirty thousand foot view. So so part of this revolution is also AI and machine learning technologies that we're deploying. So we're not we're looking at actually uh, you know hundreds if not thousands of biomarkers and developing approaches to actually tease the signal from the noise. So exactly those questions. So what, what, what biomarkers are important? Uh, what aspects of the functionality of the microbiome are important? And, and how can we zero in actually to uh, use that knowledge to 
uh, incorporated into our predictive models uh, and diagnostics algorithms ultimately. Is a metabolite the same as a biomarker to you or are they two different things? A biomarker can be anything. It can be, uh, you know, a gene, a protein, a metabolite, et cetera. We're, we're, we're focusing um, primarily on metagenomics, um, metatranscriptomics, um, essentially. Um, but, but really, there's, there's also a lot of work that's been going, in, going into the, the metabolome. Uh, so looking at the metabolites and, and additionally, you know, digging into the omics a little bit further. So viruses and fungi. So th there's actually not just bacteria that, that are in play, but um, also uh, more recently there, there's, there's been the discovery that even the viruses and the, and the, and the fungi are, are, may play a role uh, in carcinogenesis. So what, what kind of uh, specifics have you found? I mean, I know there's certain things you can say and some things you can't say, but within the realm of what you can say, what kind of specifics can you point out that you've discovered? Well, like I said, we we are uh, developing, we're focused primarily on actually the predictive model. So it's actually the 30,000 foot view. Um, and so it's, and it's, it's a combination of hundreds of different markers that, and comparing those hundreds of different markers um, between the disease state and the healthy state all at once. So the actual specific um, findings related to the etiology are, are something that essentially is, 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 is to be explored uh, later. Actually, sort of, you can drill down or, or initiate kind of a one-off study to look at any particular mechanism of action. Um, we're essentially, you know, using machine learning to model all of it at once. Okay. Um, I mean, how successful has the modeling been? Like, mm -hmm. again, what jumps out at you? What have you seen so far? Well, what jumps out really is the is, is the incredible opportunity. So, because it turns out that this 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 system, this microbial ecosystem that we're able to measure now for the first time, is is very sensitive to um, to a situation of colorectal adenomas and carcinomas. So we have, you know, we're developing tests, a test that may be more accurate than any other existing test for predicting the presence of a colorectal adenoma, for example. And that's incredibly important because essentially the colon cancer screening programs in the United States and around the world are all designed to try to detect adenomas in the interest, in the interest of trying to prevent cancer. Um, that's, that's essentially why you go and get a colonoscopy as recommended. Um, colonoscopy aims to detect adenomas, and and, and most often when, when adenomas are found, they're removed via a, a, poly, a polypectomy. And that polypectomy actually is, is what has been demonstrated to prevent cancer. And so the problem, however, is that previous, previous non-invasive diagnostic approaches um, weren't able, weren't sensitive to colorectal adenomas. And um, so therefore, that led the the screening programs to rely so heavily on colonoscopy, but because colonoscopy is so expensive and invasive, um, uh, and and there's a limit on ter in terms of uh, the geographic um, locations of endoscopy centers, um, that's sort of why colonoscopy or colon cancer has persisted as being the one of the number uh, one of the highest cancer killers, actually number two, um, and so. What the system really needs is actually a non-invasive test that is, is sensitive to adenomas 
And um, that's what this technology uh, is, is, is hoping to deliver. And really what it is, is so we're, we're kind of assessing the overall um, uh, gut health from the perspective of the microbial ecology. And that's, that's what the paradigm shift. So, and, and, and so that's sort of an indicator of, of, of disease. Um, and, and it's enabling us to now uh, select patients that are at high risk for having adenomas or carcinomas, and then we can actually advise those patients to uh, to go into a colonoscopy at that point and, and sort of get more people into screening programs and ultimately find more colon polyps and adenomas and carcinomas. And the op- the opportunity is actually to completely eliminate colon cancer. Um, that's that's how large of an opportunity it is uh, with with finding these adenomas. Where does um, I mean the colon's pretty big. The large intestine goes you know all around the stomach and down. Where does it happen typically? Like in the sigmoid colon or in the, in the rectum or? And when you're looking at bacteria, I would guess the only accessible place is like the the proximal colon, right? The rectum and the sigmoid colon. Like the rest of the there's a lot more colon in there. I don't know if anyone knows what's going on in there because it's kind of you know buried. That's true. Most colon cancers all develop in the uh, in the lower intestines, and um, actually, one hypothesis is that that's where all the microbes are. But but, but there's you know there's also in, an incredible amount of other activity going on there, um, and 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 that's essentially what is what is uh, triggering carcinogenesis is a is a variety of factors. Um, you know, including chronic inflammation, um, you know, potentially, you know, genotoxins that are produced by bacteria um, and, and other factors that, that sort of are, they're, they're feedback ne- mechanisms that essentially are, are causing um, uh, the damage to the genomic DNA that actually triggers the cancer. And the you know the most the most uh, the most common pathway is of carcinoma project, uh, progression is that that is sort of well understood is is that a slow progressing um, adenoma so polyp to adenoma to advanced adenoma to carcinoma that's that's has traditionally been understood to be around a, about a ten year process. However, in the last five ten years, with 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 the explosion of all these omics technologies. We've actually seen that there's perhaps as much as 40% of of, um, of cancers actually start from not advanced adenomas. So very small polyps that that are sort of uh, that, that sort of jump straight into cancer, and that that uh, that has been why um, there's been more um, there's been more interval cancer. So cancers that pop up in between the the screening intervals of which is recommended every 10 years colonoscopy. But if you have small adenomas that are essentially jumping straight into cancer, uh, which is sort of, which is a no, which is a different um, pathway uh, into carcinogenesis. And um, that's sort of why we may have an advantage as, as a, as a screening uh, test strategy, because we're picking up on uh, actually the earlier signs of uh, not advanced adenomas in addition to the advanced adenomas and carcinomas. So it's sort of with, uh, with the power of the, uh, the omics technologies, um, we have a potentially new way of, of, of stratifying risk for colon cancer that is going to be a valuable new tool for screening programs. So again, what have you seen changes? If someone, with, someone has no adenomas, 
what does their microbiome look like in the colon versus adenomas versus carcinomas versus you know whatever stage is next if there is a next stage um well like i said it's it's hard to pin things on a specific culprit and that essentially is why um it's been a trick it's been a tricky problem so it's it's not as if there are uh, a few bacterial species that are are the culprits it's it's uh, it's it's actually a system uh, that's so complex. You know, as I mentioned, you know, all these different um, these different factors um, that it's sort of like looking at the health of a rainforest and and actually trying to and trying to like understand whether the rainforest is healthy or not. Uh, you know, if you look at a few species um, and you might, and, and you, and they're in the genes actually that are, that are present in those species is, is kind of the view that we're looking at and trying to extrapolate that to whether the, the rainforest is healthy or not. That's how complex the, the system is. And fortunately, I think that in the situation of colon cancer or, uh, or inflammatory bowel disease or a situation with colon polyps, you have a you have some significant problems um, that that are the signal becomes loud enough actually that you that you can isolate it with the you know the AI and machine learning approaches um, and I think that it ends up looking something like you know you know a part of the forest is burned down I mean so it's a significant problem with with ecosystem. Any idea of um, I don't know if this factors in, but the how often the person that you're, you know, sampling or the creature that you're sampling goes to the bathroom. You're like, I know this is really getting into like literally gross detail, but you know, some people, mm-hmm. they may go to bathroom like twice a day. They may have a bowel movement. Some people may be like once a day, once every other day, once every three days, God forbid longer. It, you know, I don't know. I, I would think that might have a huge transformative effect on their microbiome. Like even when someone's bowel is empty, what does it look like? in this, you know, in the near, in the proximal colon versus as it gets filled up with matter. And then when it's full, what does it look like? And then right after evacuation, what does it look like? You know, I wonder if the microbiome, because of the stuff that's in there, like radically changes locally and then changes again as it gets full and empties. You know? You're absolutely right. There, there is um, many different components uh, that you can look at. So there's, yeah, there are daily changes in the microbiome. Um, and of course, changes with food and, um, you know, about 50% of the ge- genetic material uh, in a bowel movement is, is microbial. And most of the rest of it is, is from your food. Um, there is actually a, a stable component um, of the microbiome that's, that's, that's able to be modeled over time. Um, and you're actually, we're, it's actually been observed. You can see the microbiome recovering um, to a fairly, a, a, to a stable state um, following disruptions such as, you know, a course of antibiotics or a colonoscopy or some sort of, uh, some sort of shock such as that. And, but, but, but also there's, the, you know, in order to characterize the, uh, you know, a healthy from a disease state, we're also, um, you know, doing, doing signal processing and teasing the signal from the noise. So essentially the the, the microbes that change um, every day to a certain extent kind of are fall out of the model because uh, they, they aren't predictive of the disease state. Um, and so that's, that's sort of what I can say about that. Okay. Um, what do you expect? Yeah, the, stable, 
I guess to add a little bit more, yeah, the, the stable component of the microbiome, it, you know, is, is, is related to, you know, uh, biofilm production or um, kind of the more, more there's, there's pockets that are um, in, in the epithelium, the mucosa that where, where these, these microbes are, are preserved. Um, and, and essentially they, shed out into the lumen and 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 that's that's sort of what we're what we're measuring okay what do you think are going to be some of the uh, the breakthroughs that you're going to come up with in the next you know year or two or is it going to be much longer term than that well yeah we we are um unique as a microbiome diagnostics company in that we we are pursuing um fda clearance and so that's actually the biggest news that of the company is is that um We've uh, we've received a breakthrough designation from the FDA, and that that uh, gives us access to the breakthrough devices program. So, which accelerates our our our, t- our path to market. So, we're working now on uh, with with experts at the FDA to put together a clinical validation plan, um, and we we may and we're ultimately going to be doing a, a clinical trial with with thousands of patients, um, and and so that's sort of something that's that's new a new frontier for microbiome testing is is getting up to that level of clinical validation so having thousands of patients that receive colonoscopy as the clinical truth um, and and the uh, histopathology so having having that as a as a positive versus negative um, uh, for predictive modeling is is very powerful for actually untangling uh, the complexity of the gut microbiome and its impact on health. Okay. Well, very good. What's the best way for people to uh, find out more about prescient metabiomics? Uh, we have a we-, we have two websites I can point people to. One is is metabiomics.com, and um, another one we just launched is powerofprediction.com, which is, is which is a, a, a website in partnership with our strategic partner, Prescient Medicine. Okay, so best thing is what to go to metabiome.com or is there another resource? Me- metabiomics.com. Metabiomics.com. Okay, that's the best way. Okay, well, very good. Well, Greg, I appreciate you coming back and thank you. Okay, thanks a lot. You're listening to the Future Tech Health Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Until I reached age 40, I never realized the obvious that we all have medical issues or we at least have a family member or close relation that had, has, or will have them in the future. Medicine and biological systems are the final frontier. Until we've conquered death, figured out how life began, cured cancer, and understood our purpose in the universe, there's a heck of a lot to talk about when it comes to our health. Future Tech Health means I'll be covering futuristic topics that are actually already in clinical trials, or even starting to appear on shelves, or by prescription, or available for your own use. We dive deep into stem cells, CRISPR-Cas9, the science of sleep, epigenetics, medical testing, cancer, ketogenic diets, stem cells, aging, regenerative medicine, and more. My goal for you, the listener, is to learn from these podcasts. You may very well learn something that may change the course of your life for the better, steer you towards a new career, or give you insight into addressing a serious medical problem. Remember, however, this podcast and its content is informational in nature only. No medical, tax, legal, financial, or psychological advice is being given. If you enjoy the podcast, please listen, subscribe, like, and share it with friends. Thank you.